Well, here we are. It's uh, week 13 in this series of Christ in the Old Testament, and we've just made it out of the Pentateuch. <laughs> so, um, obviously, we're not going to go through the entire Old Testament. We're probably going to maybe quit after David or Solomon. Who knows? Um, but here we've made it to Joshua, and, and um, we've been looking last week at how uh, Moses had had been up on this mountain, and he had come and, and given the commandments to the people, and there was, there was some encounters with the goodness of God that Moses had, and, and we saw how Mo, uh, God was declaring himself to be a gracious and wonderful, forgiving God. In the midst of all of that, the people had sinned uh, a very great sin, and um, a time or two Moses had even sinned, and Moses wasn't able to bring the people into the promised land, and, and now Joshua has taken the lead. So we're going to look at Joshua. We haven't talked about him before. I'm going to give you just some background of his life so that you can kind of understand why I think he forms a good reminder of who Christ is, that when you're reading Joshua, you should be thinking about how he points uh, toward Christ in a good way and how he doesn't point toward Christ in a good way as well. So um, some of the things we're going to be looking at today, just what Joshua's name means, um, how he would spend a lot of time in the tabernacle, and how he kind of made that a habit in his life. We're going to look at his coming after Moses and what it means that now Joshua is kind of carrying the people forward. Um, we're going to cover this Christophany that uh, most theologians agree this this man who shows up uh, is is an is a, pre a, a vision of the pre-incarnate Christ, an encounter with Jesus before he was born. We're going to look at how Joshua leads the people of God forward in conquering the city of Jericho. Uh, real quickly touch on, on how Joshua isn't the perfect leader and what that means for us as the people of God needing a perfect leader. And then we're going to we're going to turn our attention to the book of Hebrews uh, at the end. So First thing um, that is unique about this this man Joshua, he was a young man when he took um, took up a spot in in, in Moses's uh, uh, contingent or or a cohort, and he he was he was a servant that uh, came alongside and helped Moses with certain things. He wasn't necessarily a food and and table waiter kind of servant. He was more of an administrative servant, and. Um, his name actually was changed by Moses uh, into Joshua or uh, Yeshua, which is the Hebrew name. Um, we we say Joshua because it's just kind of been translated that way, and over time we stuck with it. And um, but actually, his name means Jehovah saves or Jehovah delivers. And um, this might be a surprise for you, but Jesus's name isn't actually Jesus. Um, that's what we call him because we're English speakers, uh, but that actually comes from a uh, an English translation out of the Greek uh, transliteration from the Hebrew to the Greek, and um, Jesus is is about the best Greek pronunciation that you're going to get from me about you know Jesus's Greek name. But his real Hebrew name, when he was walking around as a, as a boy, it was actually Yeshua. And um, if you ever meet some Messianic Christians, please do not argue with them about who you're supposed to be serving, because they will tell you that uh, they serve uh, Yeshua HaMashiach, which uh, it 
it's um by the way hamashiach is not uh a hebrew pronunciation of messiah it actually is a separate word um which we don't have time to go into but but yeshua is jesus's name and um joshua here is has the same name it it was at one point hoshea and it's, it gets changed over to yeshua and and joshua here is really uh, a pointer forward to when we see the real true Yeshua show up on the scene. So that's something that, that maybe is just a little bit new for, for some of us, but um, it's valid, and I think it's important to know that Jesus' name, that's an English name, that wasn't his original name. He, he really was a Jewish guy, and, um, and uh, that, that matters. So, but this, this young man, Joshua, we haven't seen him before, so we're going to just give, him some, give some background of him. He was a very righteous young man in his early age. Uh, in Exodus 33, verse 11, we saw how Moses we saw how Moses was setting up this tent that he would go to, and um, we didn't really highlight this, but it, it says in Exodus 33:11, "Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend." When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not would not depart from the tent. And so Joshua really loved being in the presence of God. He was a man who, uh, even though he had administrative duties that Moses had kind of delegated to him, he really enjoyed being in the presence of God, of God, attending to the things of that tent later to become that tabernacle. And this is actually, uh, this theme of, of staying in the temple, staying near the temple is highlighted over and over again. Samuel has a lifestyle where he was brought up in the temple. Um, there's a few, there are a few kings who come after David's line who uh, actually grow up in the temple because they're hiding, and they become righteous kings. And, and um, David uh, himself said that he longed to be in the courts of the Lord. That was one of the songs we sang this morning was, Better is one day in your courts. This is that idea that, that Joshua here is establishing a pattern for us of really enjoying to be in the presence of God. And this we see this highlighted in Luke 2:36 when Jesus arrives on the scene there's this young woman it says in Luke 2:36 and there was a prophetess and or she's not a young woman uh, she was when she entered into the temple Anna the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher she was advanced in years and had lived with her husband 7 years after her marriage it then goes on to say that she would not depart from the temple. So she, she got married as a, a young woman. Uh, seven years after she gets married, her husband uh, either dies or, or some, something happens to him. And she decides to devote herself to staying in the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. And so she, she is uh, kind of uh, a highlight to this idea of staying in the temple. And in that very same chapter... Jesus is actually found in the temple as well. He uh, was a young man, and he, he's in the temple, and he's talking with the scribes and Pharisees about the things of the law. And his parents leave because Jerusalem. They had just been there for a feast, and they are traveling in this caravan, and they don't notice that their little son, Yeshua, is missing. And um, so they... they uh, after a day or two, they figure he was just hanging out with the relatives because they, they traveled in a large caravan, and uh, they didn't know that he was still in Jerusalem. So after a day or so, they turn back and they find Jesus 
staying in the temp in the temple. He had somehow found a way to convince people to let him sleep there or somewhere close. And the next day, he went back to the temple and was still where he they had left him. And this is a highlight that uh, when we see Joshua not departing from the tabernacle, we're reminded of this idea that Jesus really loved being in the temple about his father's work. And the fact that it highlights uh, this fact in the same chapter, I think it's significant. But Joshua is not just wanting to stay uh, in, the ta- in the tabernacle or in this tent that Moses would set up, but he also was righteous in, in every other thing that he did. He was successful in a few battles. He brought back a good report when all the rest of the spies had brought back an evil report. And that evil report that they brought back was one of the reasons why God decided that they weren't allowed to go into the promised land. And so Joshua is succeeding in righteousness where the rest of his generation is failing. And because of that, Yahweh chooses Joshua to be the next uh, leader of his people. And we see that in the first reading that we uh, looked at this morning. In Joshua 1, 2 through 9, just a few highlights. Yahweh says to Joshua, Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. We had seen um, how Moses was prohibited to go into the promised land because of the anger that he demonstrated in Numbers 20, uh, considering uh, the, the representation of Yahweh to the people of God. And because of that one sin, Moses was not able to bring the people of God into the land. And we, we know, uh, we, we spent some time on this a few weeks ago, that's a real issue for us as the people of God. We need a leader to bring us into the promised land. We need someone who can, who can bring us into the, the promises of God. And so Joshua here is succeeding where Moses had kind of left off. Um, in Numbers 20, verse 12, But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Joshua gets to bring the people of God in where Moses could not. But that wasn't Moses' only shortcomings. The, The law that Moses had established was also not able to bring the people of God into righteous living. And we're gonna we're gonna look at that when we get to Hebrews. But this this idea is that Joshua is succeeding and and leading the people of God forward, whereas Moses had he had fulfilled his function, but he was unable to bring the people all the way into the promised land. And every time you see a failure of of a leader in the Bible or in uh, in in our time, it should highlight and bring you to a reminder that that uh, there were none righteous except for Jesus Christ, not only in his, in his conduct, but also in his leadership, especially with his leadership of the disciples and the establishment of the church. So not only is Joshua a righteous man, but he's also being chosen by God to lead the people of God forward. And just like Moses, he has an encounter with God that is, is significant. In Joshua 5, we, um, we read, A man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in hand, and Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down. The captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Um, 
the reason why most scholars agree that this is a Christophany, as in it's a it's a demonstration of Jesus before he was had taken on human flesh, is that um, well, first of all, Joshua bows down, which time and again uh, up until this this point, whenever the people of God were or the Moses, Aaron, the elders were worshiping, it says they bowed down and worshipped, and. Um, we don't necessarily bow down a lot in, in our modern worship. I think we probably should do more of that. But, but biblically, bowing down in front of someone is a sign of humility. Uh, it's a sign of homage that you pay to a king or respect. But it's, most importantly, it's a sign of worship. And so Joshua here is worshiping before this man, and this man is not uh, rejecting that worship. Every other time where you see it, the angel Gabriel or just some other angel from the Lord, if that person starts to worship, they they command that person not to worship, and they say something to the effect of, don't worship, I'm a fellow servant of God just like you are. But here this man doesn't say that. Not only that, but he also describes himself as the captain of the Lord's host. That is, Jesus is the uh, leader of of the armies of God, which is a theme that comes up time and again, especially in the book of Joshua. But not only that, he says, this man says to Joshua, remove your sandals because the place that you're standing is holy. Now, the Bible does describe the angels as holy, but when the angels come, they uh, they never tell the, the people that they encounter to, uh, to remove their sandals because they're in, having an encounter with the holy the people who encounter angels in the scriptures usually just see and recognize there's something special about this and they, they react. But here, Joshua removes his sandals, and this is an exact pointer to Joshua's leading in the same way that Moses was. When Moses had that encounter with the burning bush, Yahweh told him to take off your sandals for the, the ground that you're standing on, it's holy ground. So Joshua leads the people of God, he leads the Israelites into victory, storming the walls of Jericho. When we see this happening, we should also see Jesus as the head of the church, storming the gates of hell and establishing his church. So, some of the things that we had learned a few weeks ago is, and I just wanted to highlight this, this wasn't exactly in my plan, but we had seen how the trumpets on the, the, the trumpet that the people had heard on the mountain uh, was was highlighted again in Revelation, but but here the people are blowing trumpets around this city. They're literally bringing the kingdom of God into the land, and they're executing God's judgments against uh, the people who who were sinning in the land. And so um, here they're shouting, and Joshua is leading these people forward into battle in the same way Christ leads the church, saying in Matthew sixteen eighteen. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When we see Joshua executing victory against Jericho, we should be reminded and hopeful of Jesus executing judgments against the gates of hell and the kingdom of darkness. Now, even though Joshua was a righteous leader and he had brought forth victory a few times, he wasn't perfect and he was actually deceived one time. In Joshua 19, or sorry, Joshua 9, verses 14 through 15. Here these people had come and they lived in the land and the fear of God had fallen on them. And so they come up to the sons of Israel and they decide to 
deceive them, and they say, we've come from a very far away place, and when we left, this bread that we had was fresh, and this wine that we had was, was in new wineskins. And um, the people of God, uh, the, the sons of Israel, took some of their provisions, which um, I, I don't think we have enough time to talk about, but, but it's significant that they had bread and wineskins with them that they had, were making uh, a fake sign that they were true and authentic people. And, and the people of God do not inquire of the Lord. In, in verse 14, in Joshua 9, we, say, we see, So the men of Israel did not ask for the counsel of the Lord. Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them. Up until this point, Joshua, as a righteous leader of the people of God, had been faithful to inquire of the Lord whether they should go up against this city or, or why they were defeated in battle. And, and here in this place, Joshua makes a fatal mistake. He had begun to presume in his ability to lead the people of God. And Jesus never does this. And so when we see Joshua failing here in this, in this example of, of being a leader, we should rem- be remind, reminded that there is no righteous leader of the people of God except Jesus himself. Joshua had been commanded to utterly destroy all the people of the, the land because of the wickedness that was being done in the land. There were, um, this is sometimes a hard idea for people to get around that, um, that the God of the Old Testament was, was mean and the God of the New Testament is nice. It's actually the case that God, um, you know, he's a righteous and holy God and he brings judgment against people who act wickedly. And the kinds of behaviors that the people in the land were doing, um, that the, the people of God were going to dispossess from the land, these people were, were sacrificing their children to, uh, in, in, on idols that were you know, burning hot. They were uh, setting up places where, where there were uh, poly- uh, uh, fertility cults, that is, people were, were engaging in sexually immoral activities as a hope to appease these demonic gods uh, that they had made out, out of these idols. The, they were trying to uh, bring a blessing on their land by committing iniquity and sin. And God didn't want them to have possession of the land any longer. And so he raises up his people to dispossess these others out of the land. And while we don't have time fully to convince you of why that's a righteous, um, righteous thing, it is the way that God works, and it's the way that if we are Bible-believing Christians, we have to reconcile uh, with, with our ideas about God. And so, so here Joshua failed in his command, in, in, in his obedience to this command of removing the wicked people out of the land. And he presumes on being a good leader, and in that, the people of Gibeon actually become a major source of pain uh, in the future. Um, because they had been uh, they had deceived Joshua. Joshua makes them water bearers and and woodcutters, which had a good purpose um, in that they were being used to bring uh, uh, instruments and and resources to the temple that was going to be established. And even though that was a good outcome out of this deception, at one point Saul kills all these Gibeonites, and there's a famine that comes on the land because of this and. It, it's it's a major source of pain for David later on, and so Joshua here is is this is already the first people group 
that the Israelites aren't going to successfully remove out of the land. And after this, it just goes downhill quickly. There are tribes after, after nations that stay in the land and become a major source of idolatry for Israel. And so this is a significant failure on Joshua's part. But this failure that he uh, makes, it reminds us that we are looking for a one who is greater than Joshua. In 1 Kings 8, verse 46, uh, and, and 2 Chronicles 6, 36, in the prayer that Solomon makes when he's establishing the temple, he asks Yahweh to hear the prayers of the people when they pray uh, at the temple, if they've committed sin, and then there's this phrase, for there is no man who does not sin. And when we see Joshua failing, we should be even more enthralled and encouraged and in awe that Jesus lived a perfect sinless life, and that uh, in the midst of all men on the earth having corrupted their way, he remained pure in both his conduct and his leadership. In Ecclesiastes 7, verse 20, uh, which a lot of people believe Solomon might have written Ecclesiastes as well, it says, Indeed, there is not a righteous man on the earth who continually does good and who never sins. Yet Jesus did. And in the midst of seeing Joshua fall, we should be even more thankful that Jesus never did. So just as Joshua has succeeded Moses in taking up where Moses had left off, so does Jesus. Jesus' victories against sin and against darkness and the kingdom of darkness are better and they're more complete than the victories that Joshua had brought. We're going to close up with uh, a reading uh, and a little bit, just a little bit of commenting out of Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4. In Hebrews 3, we begin in verse 1, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he had been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are if we hold fast to our, to our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as when they provoked me, as in the day of the trial of, in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for forty years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, They always go astray in their hearts, and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The rest that Joshua brings the people of God into in coming into the promised land was not the final and full and complete rest that the people of God needed. And this rest that we are talking about, of course, is, a, is a, just an allegorical uh, uh, spiritual reality for us as believers. We are told by the gospel to cease from our labors and to cease from the labors of our own sinful, 
selfish attempts at producing righteousness and righteous behavior in our walk with God. And the gospel comes to us as those who know God in in the law and know him in the things in creation and know him in our conscience. And it comes to us and it says that, that you cannot complete the works of the law perfectly. And so the, the gospel's message to the people of God is to cease from their labors. And this is going to be made clear by the passage in Hebrews 4. In Hebrews 4, 4 starting in verse 8, For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that rest. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, as God did from his. That's, that's the key verse in my argument here. For the one that is the person who has entered his, Jesus's rest, the rest that Jesus provides, has himself also rested from his works, just as God rested from his works. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Continuing in verse 13, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. What it means for us to cease from our rest is to behold and to consider Jesus Christ, his work, his perfect righteous life, his perfect leadership of the people of God, and his perfect atoning sacrifice on the cross. What it means for us to, to cease from our labors is to hear Jesus' voice, the last words that he had spoken, saying, it is finished, and to trust him and to rely on him to bring that about in our hearts. So let's close with prayer. Father, we thank you for your gospel. We ask you that you would make it complete in us, that we would turn to your word, that we would come close to your throne to find grace in time of need, that we would behold and and cherish and consider Jesus, not only his example, but mostly his work. God, we ask you that you would produce a righteousness in us that comes apart from the doing of the law, but it comes from faith in Jesus' work on our behalf. God, we ask you to make these things real to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.